This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 139. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. <clears throat> A little frog in my throat there. <laughs> and today I have with me Jacob Paulson. Howdy, Riley. Howdy, howdy. Hopefully that frog is gone. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> Where did that saying ever come from? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. It sounds awkward. Know. Yes, it does. Well, anyway, hey, folks. Uh, we're glad to have you with us today on the podcast. Uh, we got some... We have a lot of stories to cover today, so this is going to be a doozy of an episode. We're going to go through some of it probably fairly quickly, at least hopefully fairly quickly, because we don't want to be here all day. But as we went through these stories, we just kind of got to a point where it was hard to cut them out. So I don't know if there's just a lot that went on this week in the gun world or or what, but uh, it'll be a good one, right? Indeed. So, uh, today's episode, by the way, is brought to you, first of all, by ConcealedCarry.com Adhesive Targets. This is one of the latest products we launched. Uh, we, we manufacture these and have them made available for sale on ConcealedCarry.com. Check out these new adhesive targets. They will stick and stay in temperatures between minus 20 degrees to plus 160 degrees Fahrenheit. That's really impressive, by the way. A special printing process and high-quality materials eliminate glare and increase visibility. They really, really work really well. So they're sold in packs of 10, 100, or 1,000. Check out the new ConcealedCarry.com adhesive reactive target line at ConcealedCarry.com forward slash stick targets. And save 10% with the coupon code PODCAST10, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0, with a minimum order of $30. And so with that, it is a month, well, it's supposed to be a Monday episode. We're a day late. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, here's your Tuesday weekly trading tip. Uh, some of that's because I've been having some problems with my internet recently. Uh, hopefully, it works for us to get through the rest of this episode today. It seems like it's working okay. So here we go. Today's training tip is practice trigger manipulation without looking at your sights. Do you know what I mean by that, Jacob? Yeah. Yep. I mean, uh, even it doesn't even have to be fully extended, as, as I, assuming I'm knowing what you're saying, right? You could just have that thing down at your side and just practice working that trigger, that finger specifically. Yes, that's right. You know, I, I've this was pointed out to me once upon a time, and I, I think I'd kind of forgotten about it, but Rob Latham talked about it in uh, the Guardian Nation Live event we did with him uh, a few weeks back. And he talked about just sitting there, and I, I've got my... Uh, Sig P320 here in front of me, and he talked about just working the slide. It is on. Un- this is unloaded, just so everyone knows. Okay, don't freak out on me now. Yep, clear chamber. All right, no magazine in it. Work the slide and just sit there and practice your trigger presses. And I'm not looking at the sights. And here's the thing: when we look at the sights, it introduces a lot of times for many shooters anticipation. I don't know why exactly. <laughs> it just, that's just, I don't know. It seems to be how it works. But I, I've proven this too with shooters before. In fact, we just did this last week with uh, one of our buddies, Jacob. Uh, we were talking about trigger manip- manipulation with him. He'll know who he is. And I had him and I demonstrated for him too, just, just standing there, uh, holding the gun kind of down at waist height and pressing the trigger and doing that. And the gun didn't, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't, I don't flinch. I don't anticipate 
I just work the trigger like I'm supposed to and do that a whole bunch of times, like lots and lots of times, hundreds or thousands of times. And it was quite clear to me, and I thought it was pretty impressive that a guy even like Rob Latham, who is one of the, the greatest shooters you know that's ever lived, especially with a handgun in his hands, he, that he still to this day, he says he just sits there a lot of times all day long working the gun, working the trigger. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said about that. I mean, it definitely helps you just get those muscles and everything trained to do it correctly, the right way, every time. And then hopefully that doesn't translate into flinching in an anticipation when you are actually shooting your your live rounds and looking at your sights. But anyway, have you ever done anything like that, Jacob? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the idea is to almost like separate the different variables in the shooting skills and train them independently so that they can come together more smoothly as opposed to one negatively affecting the other because you've never independently trained it. Does that right. sound right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, by the way, I don't, I just was thinking about this uh, this morning, actually, while I was doing this, uh, getting ready for the podcast. One of the things I really like about the P320, and you've probably noticed this too. I mean, after all, you and I, we went through the uh, P320 Armors course together. But the P320 is a really great gun for dry fire practice, I think. Yeah. Because even when the slide doesn't cycle, the trigger still goes back and forth, and it still has an audible little click. And the trigger press is not, it's not exactly the same weight as when the striker is reset, but basically I can sit here and transition from target to target and keep reworking the trigger without having to work the slide. So, hey, anyway, that's pretty cool. I mean, I I just, I don't know why I didn't think to share that with folks before. We've talked about the P320, we've talked about clocks, of course, many times, but the P320 might have something kind of going for it there, especially in the dry, you know, dry fire practice uh, arena. So kind of cool. Anyway, uh, today's episode is brought to you also by Pig Lube and Mantis X. And Mantis X, I think, is totally appropriate to have as a sponsor on today's episode because of the feedback it gives you relating to your trigger pull. So there you have it. We'll we'll, uh, get to their message here in a little bit. But now I think it's time we start breaking down these news stories and I'm going to start off, Jacob, with it's kind of like a justified story. I mean, it is. It has somewhat of a sad ending. But um, I decided to share it first because I I just felt it felt appropriate putting it at the beginning of the episode as a, I, I hope, a healthy reminder to all of us to get out there, practice more, train more, take more classes, train with reputable instructors. Uh, so that hopefully this doesn't happen to you. Did you read this story? About yeah, the home- uh, I mean, we don't have a lot of detail here other than it did not turn out well. And it's interesting because we so often focus on all the stories that do turn out well that I often, you know, I read this today and I thought, crap, have we set up our podcast listeners to believe that it always ends well? Right, right. I, I don't think this is the first story we've covered where, no. you know, the the good guy uh you know, dies. Right. But, uh, but, but you're right. I think, I think we should probably make an effort to find more of these stories and share them with our listeners to, cause, cause I read this story, Jacob, and it, it just kind of like cuts to my heart, you know, as far as like, Oh man, like I do, I definitely do think that sometimes we get to a, a, a place a lot of times. I mean, I'm packing my gun on me all, you know, every day, all day it's on me. And you kind of get this sense of security, like, Oh, I've got my gun. I got my knife. I got my light. I'm good to go. But 
that doesn't necessarily guarantee, it doesn't guarantee anything, <laughs> right? And yeah. so this story is from Flint, Michigan, where a pair of teenagers, and by teenagers, they mean it was a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old uh, suspect, they were eight, 17 and 18-year-old suspects. They broke into a 63-year-old man's home. This happened on uh, Tuesday, July 11th, about 5 a.m. So it's pretty early in the morning. I didn't know 17 and 18-year-olds were up at 5 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, the incident started as a home invasion. This story from MLive.com. This is a kind of local news uh, station or website to the area there. Uh, so the started out as a home invasion, but soon turned into shots fired between the male homeowner and two teenage males ages 17 and 18. The homeowner was confirmed dead at the scene. Following the shootout, the teens fled the scene in a vehicle crashing in the intersection of East Court Street and South Vernon Avenue, less than one mile away from the shooting scene. One of the teen suspects was taken to Hurley Medical Center following the crash, police said. It is believed the teen was injured prior to the crash. The second suspect has also been taken into custody. The names of the victims or suspects have not yet been released. Wow, how humbling is that? Yeah, uh, you know, we have no idea what happened, right? We just know that shots were exchanged. The homeowner was killed. Uh, That deal is done. And so, you know, to your point, Riley, maybe the lesson to take from this is it's it's good to have some sense of security that I have my firearm with me, but it's better to have a plan and to be as prepared as possible in terms of, um, you know, where I'm going to take cover, how I'm going to respond to different situations, having safe rooms kind of mapped out on different levels of the house and, and really just having a little bit more of a comprehensive plan and strategy than just, I got my gun. Yeah. You know, I'm planning an episode at some point here soon, I hope. I don't know. I'm working through, I'm reading some books, listening to some audio books, and putting together some content that I hope will be of value to our listeners. And some of it has to do with mindset and mentally, you know, being prepared, um, but also with recognizing and identifying threats. And I'm thinking, Jacob, you know, if it's 5 a.m. and you are dead asleep, like, how do you, you know, you, can you be mentally prepared for that? Can you, uh, is there anything you can do to make sure that, that you can recognize that threat or that you can prepare for that threat or that you can have a plan for 5 a.m.? I, th- I, I have so. some thoughts, but I'm sure you do too. Yeah, I, I think absolutely is the answer. Uh, when when your body goes into response mode, right? When you know whatever we want to call it, whether we go by you know color conditioning or fight or flight or whatever, when your body goes into that kind of I'm really freaked out and scared mode, which happens in the middle of the night when you wake up and you all of a sudden think that there's a threat in the home you will do whatever is most naturally and instinctively done. Like whatever your body thinks is most natural. For a lot of people, that might be run toward noise. (laughs) For other people, it might be hide. For other people, it might be freeze. And for you, it needs to be whatever you want it to be, right? You need to say, well, what I want my body to do in that moment. And you need to train that significantly enough or often enough or very least know what that thing is so that you're more likely to be able to do it. That that to be the most instinctive, natural thing for you. You will always take the route of least resistance. And so hopefully you've planned that route in advance and that path of least resistance is something desirable. Yeah. Now, what, what do you say about... Um it's 5 a.m. and you are a sound sleeper. Like, what if you don't even hear? Uh, the hearing threat? the threat is something else entirely. And, and by the way, this is something that's probably a little bit personal for you because you don't have the best hearing. No, I don't. And so I personal. sleep like a rock, too, I'll add. So, 
I think that a person needs to have a strategy or a plan relative to, will I hear the threat? And a lot of people's strategy is I'm a light sleeper. I'll hear anything. Um, I'll tell you, I got a lot of levels of that. Uh, for one, I, I'm a firm believer, and you know this, Riley, in physical security. I mean, in order to get into the house, you got to break through a lot of things. My yard is extremely well lit all night long. I don't have bushes you can hide behind. I got a really solid doors. I don't have flimsy, crappy doors. I got solid doors. They're reinforced. They got good locks. I have a really sensitive, loud, annoying dog. Uh, her bark, you know, is suggests that she's pretty big of a dog and, and she's not small by any means. Uh, you know, I, I got a lot of things. I have surveillance uh, cameras, you know, different uh, entry points uh, in and out. And so, so I guess the point would be, A, I, I've done as much as I possibly can to try and make my home a less desirable target, right? Yeah. And, and then beyond that, the loud, annoying dog helps. My wife sleeps light as a feather, so I might be a really heavy sleeper and deaf in one ear, but she is not either of those things. And so, in our house, it almost always comes with a hand coming across, hitting me in the side, and Jacob, <laughs> Jacob, I heard something. <laughs> That's how it always goes down. And usually it's, no, you didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll go check. You know, and, that, and that's how that happens. And so I guess my point would be, what, what is your plan? Like really loud alarm system, you know, ha- yeah. being notified that there's, there's an intruder, there's a threat. Uh, that, that's a different topic of conversation. But I would say, you know, put as many layers of, of security in there as you can and then have something in place. And for me, my something in place would be really loud dog, light sleeping wife. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have the dog. Uh, it just is. I, I love dogs. I, it just doesn't work out for our family to have one. Uh, but uh, that security system for me is a is a big piece of my personal home security. Uh, we have a great security system that you know. At night, I make sure we go to bed that the house is secure. Doors are locked like they need to be. Security system is armed, and if somebody's going to get in the house, they're going to set off the alarm some way somehow. There. It's got a battery backup. You can't just cut the power. It's gonna. It lasts all day long uh, on battery. It places phone calls to police and emergency responders wirelessly. So you know it's not even tied into a landline or anything like that. It's and it works very well. So if you don't have something like that, I would encourage you to do to to get something like that. I would encourage you to have a dog if that if that's something you're able to do, uh, like like Jacob. But make sure you have a plan because that's kind of where I was going with this. Is you know, <laughs> there's there's two components. We need to be prepared to deal with a threat once we know that there's a threat, right? And you kind of you touched on that, Jacob, very well. But we also need to make sure that we can be alerted to the threat. And throughout the day, that's not as big a problem, but. I'm like you, where I'm a very sound sleeper, so I need a little bit of help to make sure I've got my back covered. So, yeah, uh, humbling story. Don't let this happen to you, and uh, we'll probably try to make more of an effort to bring some more of those to you, so hopefully we can all learn together uh, what not to do. Now, it's hard, like I said, there's not a lot of details in that story. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know what not to do based on that story, but it reminds me to be better prepared and more ready. So just that, that another little kick in the pants, so to speak to, you know, just make that, make a little bit more effort. And I, I hope that we can all do that. Turning now to a story that hits close to home. Uh, this is Adams County in here in Colorado. Uh, there is a famous gun show in the Denver Metro area known as the Tanner gun show. And I almost hate talking about this because 
you know, it doesn't always, it doesn't necessarily paint our gun culture or our gun people in uh in in an entirely positive light. Uh, but you know what? I love gun shows. Uh, my, one of my favorite memories as a child was my grandfather taking me to a gun show and it was just so much, I mean, I couldn't wait to go to the next one. Right. And the Tanner gun show is one of the biggest here in Colorado. Several years ago, I was there when somehow there was a negligent discharge while I was there about 30, 40 feet away from me. That was kind of an interesting experience. Okay, it wasn't inter- it was an interesting experience. It was interesting in the fact that when that shot went off, everyone just sort of stopped, turned, and looked. And I got the sense that nearly everybody in that entire room was assessing the situation like is there an active threat? <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Like uh it's game time if there is, you know, sort of thing. Like like everyone just stopped like no one started panicking freaking out running or anything like that at all which i thought was really admirable uh i suspect it played out similarly here in this in this most recent event as well but you know everyone was just looking and like okay what just happened and then someone realized okay someone's hurt let's go you know take care of the situation You, you know first responders were called in they got there fairly quickly situation was handled I thought and really truly hoped that that would be a very isolated incident. And that one was one where I believe a visitor to the show uh, handled a gun that he shouldn't have been handling or he brought one in. I don't know exactly all the details, but basically I believe that was a visitor to the show uh, that uh, you're not supposed to bring guns in yourself. Okay, you can bring them in if you're a vendor. They got to be checked. They got to be tagged. They got to be you know zip tied open with their actions open and whatever. This most recent incident was a vendor that brought in his own gun, carrying concealed, and he's not supposed to be. He's not supposed to do that, mind you, because all guns that come into the show are supposed to be unloaded and checked. But he ignored that part of the rules, brought his concealed carry gun in, and for whatever reason, it was handled, and a shot was fired, and someone was struck in the lower leg. One of his employees, in fact, it says in the story. This were, um, the story uh, in the show notes today is from Denver Post. Uh, it gives you know quite a few details here. But um, and and the sh- the shooter, or the the guy, by the way, the vendor, he's he's been kicked out of the show. He's not going to be able to come back and be a vendor there anymore. Uh, clearly, he broke safety you know he had he 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 <laughs> having a hard time talking today he had safety violations he violated policy by bringing in a loaded gun where he was not supposed to have a loaded gun um you know this is something that should not have happened and i share this story also too with the hopes that it's a reminder for all of us to one obey rules where the, where there are rules and to always make sure that you're practicing proper firearm safety because it's clear that that's not what happened here. And it, it has happened before I I'm remembering and I went and looked it up our 300 negligent discharge study, which we reported on on episode 106. And I'll, if we'll try and remember to put the link in the show notes, but we found out, you know, in studying about roughly 290 negligent discharges that seven of them, which is a little short of two and a half percent took place at a gun show. And that was in a two-year period. So they do have, it does happen, you know, roughly four times a year on average, according to our little research that we, what we could find. And so, yeah, I, the major takeaway for me would be what you said, like 
complacency to me is probably the answer. I I don't know all the details. I don't know the vendor, but oftentimes these kinds of things come out of complacency. Done it how many times and how many places, always correctly. And then just over time, I get more comfortable, more confident, and that leads to being more complacent. And that, yeah, sometimes that'll get you, uh, you know, in, in the Denver Post. I'm reminded too, it wasn't that long ago. I think we maybe even talked about this story too. Um, I can't remember for sure though, but not too long ago, there was a, I think at a, at a gun show, I don't remember where specifically, but there was a, a man that was handling a 22 pistol uh, and he pointed it kind of at the wall, but it was like a hard, it was like a, CM, a, a CMU or a, a cinder block wall. And he was handling someone else's 22, checking it out pulls the trigger. And this was like one of the security guards for the show, right? Pulls the trigger and it was loaded and it fires a shot, ricochets off the wall and strikes one of the the, the guys that you check in with at the table, strikes him in the finger. And uh, I mean, <laughs> this should just not happen at our gun shows. Like if we really want to be viewed as being serious, responsible people, if we really don't want to give the anti-gunners any fodder to throw at us to say, this is why we need gun control because people can't be responsible, then we've got to step up and stop doing this kind of crap. Okay. And there's another story today, by the way, we're going to share. And this one is not, I don't know that I put it in the same category. I don't know that this guy that this other story, you know, that we're going to share here in a moment. I don't know that this guy would, you know, would be even somebody that should have a gun. Uh, meaning, like, I don't know if he was legally allowed to have one or not either. But uh, uh, we just got to be more responsible people, okay? And be positive role models and advocates for proper firearm safety. So let's turn now to a, a story out of California. We've talked about this before. Uh, I don't know that we actually covered this specifically as a story on the podcast, and that is that a federal judge blocks new California high-capacity magazine ban, but fight looms. Yeah, so let's clarify a little bit here. The, the what's, what's in place is for, for some time now, uh, since 2000, so call that eight years, there has been a law that has prevented Californians from buying or selling magazines that had a capacity greater than 10 rounds. So that's been around and that is still okay. The The federal judge in this particular ruling has, is not saying, oh, we got to get rid of this law that's been around for eight years. What's happened is California is trying to pass a new law that essentially requires that if you own those magazines, if you still have them, you have to dispose of them or you're breaking the law. And so this federal judge is saying, hey, whoa, whoa, like you can't get rid of the grandfather clause. Like we've had this law for many years now and now you're trying to tell people that, hey, if you already have these, you can't even keep them. Like you have to dispose of them. And that is where the judge is saying it's crossing the line. Yeah, that's right. And so... This this story actually is is it's about two weeks old now, uh, but this is still an ongoing issue. Of course, that we'll continue to follow, uh, and, and it's far from settled. In fact, um, so this was San Diego-based judge, U.S. District Judge Rod Roger Benitez. He ruled that the ban approved by the legislature and voters last year takes away gun owners' Second Amendment rights and amounts to the government taking people's private property without compensation. That that's that's really kind of one of the core you know concepts as to why he ruled the way he did. Uh, I, 
I, I kind of wonder, you know, would we have had the same ruling? Would he have ruled the same if the state of California said, you've got to turn in all these formerly grandfathered in magazines and we're going to compensate you in the form of, you know, I don't know, so many dollars per magazine, so many gift cards or whatever it is. Uh, but essentially, this is a outright confiscation, seizure, right, by the government. And so it's been uh, at least temporarily uh, delayed as far as this law going into effect. Yep. Yep. And, and so that, they need to find a way to compensate people or to leave the grandfather clause in, in place is probably what it's going to come down to. I'm, I'm projecting a little. Yep. Yep. And so obviously we got to fight on our hands because there's a lot of people uh, there that uh, support this law. Uh, but we also have a lot of gun owners in California, of course, that are, uh, you know, hoping this goes their way. Uh, <laughs> let, let me, let me jump in here real quick. Sure, Cause this absolutely. Here's the real important implication. Gun grabbers love to pass laws that make things illegal. In order to get those laws passed to begin with, they have to include grandfather clauses. It always is true. Always. And so it's the only way they can get it passed because, you know, you know their, their constituents are not going to support them passing a law that just suddenly makes a bunch of locals criminals because they possess things, right? So they always put in grandfather clauses. But what's, what's the inevitable next step for them on their agenda? They quickly realize that, hey, we passed this law that made XYZ illegal, but there are thousands of XYZs in our state. Because we, we left a grandfather clause in here that allowed people to just keep what they already had. And people are constantly moving into our state, bringing XYZs with them. And we allow that because we, we left this grandfather clause in. So, so inevitably what happens is that law leads them to have to pass another law to make possession illegal. It, it is an inevitability. So, so I, I just would tell you that anytime we see law being proposed that's going to take away something or restrict something, but have a grandfather clause, you can bet that the next proposal will be to get rid of the grandfather clause because it, it, right. it's obvious the original legislation is flawed to begin with. If, if you think that you're going to somehow you know, limit violent crime by making something illegal, but allowing a bunch of people to keep it. So it, it, it's, it's a dangerous slippery slope game. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's a, difficult game you know it feels like a losing battle in a lot of respects in in places like california i mean we know we have a lot of gun rights supporters there we know we have a lot of wonderful gun owners that live in the state of california but when they've got people like california attorney general xavier becerra that says this proposition 63 was overwhelmingly approved by voters to increase public safety and enhance security in a sensible and constitutional way I will defend the will of California voters because we cannot continue to lose innocent lives due to gun violence. Well, what sort of gun violence does he refer to? Well, he's specifically, I mean, in the back of his mind, he's thinking San Bernardino, right? And so here's a quote from Amanda Wilcox, a representative of the Brady campaign to prevent gun violence, who says, clearly referring to high capacity magazines in high capacity in their mind, meaning anything greater than 10, obviously. So uh, clearly it escalates the lethality in any mass shooting when high capacity magazines are involved. That uh, forcing assailants to change magazines more frequently gives victims time to flee or subdue the shooter. And that was actually a statement from Attorney General Becerra who argued that in court filings. You know, maybe Jacob, I'll post a video of my reload from my three-gun match over the weekend. <laughs> 
because, man, I rocked a three uh, reload on my AR that uh, impressed even myself. I, <laughs> it you doesn't, know, you know, like, I'll tell you what, that re- I got that, that mag out magazine in in about a second. And you're, you're telling me that somebody is going to flee or subdue me in a second? No, most people won't even have the chance to, re- to recognize. They won't have a chance to react to, oh, magazine out, magazine in. You know what I mean? And then I'm back to shooting. How about this shooter in uh, New York we talked about in the podcast a couple weeks ago in New York City, right? In the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And he was likely using, he was using a 10-round magazine. And he shot seven people. That's terrible. And you know what? If they get this, if they get this, if they get 10 rounds as being the absolute limit, and they, they argue saying, look, that saves lives, guess what? where's the next step? Because they can point then to, well, this guy with a 10 round magazine was still able to do this. You know, like it never stops. No, no, it doesn't stop. It's arbitrary. Like pick a number, you know? Uh, And I just, I just, I'll add to the show notes, a link to an article I wrote. It's been a while, maybe a year ago about magazine capacity limitations. The article's title is why magazine capacity limitations are a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I won't, I won't read it all out loud here because we, we have limited time, but I'll put it in the show notes. The whole thing is just ridiculous. Yep. It is. We'll move on from that. But uh, folks, uh, if you can uh, fight back in the state of California, do everything you can because we've got to sway. And it's clear to me that it's not just about uh, it's not just about the Brady campaign. It's not just about certain you know attorneys general you know in the in California and elsewhere. It's about also swaying the public court of opinion. It's about arguing for our rights in a logical and reasonable way that points out the flaws in these gun control agendas and 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 helping people to see and understand what the reality is and what logic uh, you know shows you know actually works or makes sense in the, in the real world is there what they're arguing for here is a utopian worldview you know it, well it's not perfect and so we've got to try to make it perfect we've got to fix these these problems in our society we've got to prevent another San Bernardino you're never going to be able to prevent another San Bernardino I'm sorry to say what we can do is make each of ourselves individually better prepared to respond and stop a San Bernardino from even occurring turning now to Kansas Kansas yeah and and this is another one I hate to talk about a little bit, but uh, I, I feel we need to. Uh, it's been big news recently about uh, campus carry uh, being now law of the land in Kansas. Effective July 1. Yep, that was July 1st of this year. So it's it's not even quite two weeks after, uh, by the time I, I guess this happened, okay, Two weeks after that law went into effect, where you could legally carry concealed on public college campuses in Kansas, somebody left a gun in a bathroom at Wichita State University. And so, quoting a student here, Eric Mallory, seeing the gun just made me roll my eyes. A Wichita State University technology infrastructure employee, oh, I thought it was a student, (laughs) it was an employee, uh, who found the gun. So, it was uh, one of the staff people there. That went into the bathroom, found the gun, and and then he says, thinking about the ramifications of irresponsible gun ownership is unsettling. As of Friday, university police were investigating the matter and will decide, as the university spokesman put it, quote, what, if anything, needs to happen, end quote. Uh, quoting from 
uh, I think this is university spokesman, Joe Kleinsasser. He said, this is a reminder of how important it is to be responsible when you're carrying a gun. It's obviously, obviously it's a mistake and not a good one. So yeah, I, I already made my rant about being responsible, you know, gun owners and positive role models of what a responsible gun owner looks like. This is this is a problem, you know, when we're leaving our guns in their bathrooms. Uh, we did an episode, too, about this. Or, yeah, yeah, we did an episode on this. Plus, we wrote an article. You, I think, did you write that one, Jacob, as well? Yeah, the link's in the show notes. Yeah, yeah we, we did. And at the bottom of that article is actually a list of news stories of people leaving their guns in bathrooms uh, or shooting yeah. themselves in bathrooms. So, yeah, it, it happens. It happens. Um you know, it's funny, like last week, remember on Wednesday, we did that episode, like the ultimate guide to beginner CC to something or another. And, you know, the things like this, that you just sometimes don't think about, like, sometimes you gotta go to the bathroom, and you have a gun on you, what the crap are you gonna do? And so I could totally see this, right? Some new student who's stoked that he can now carry concealed on campus, and he went and got his permit, and yay, I'm gonna have my gun. And you walk in that stall and you're like, oh, what do I do with this thing? So, yeah, if you haven't already, go back and, and listen to, geez, I don't even know what episode it is. I'll, I'll pull it, it up, up here. It was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. It was probably first 20 episodes. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, go listen to that episode. If you need help with knowing how to handle yourself in a public restroom with your gun, and I hope it helps you, okay? And read the article as well. Uh, just I'll, I'll throw it out there real fast in a nutshell. My number one rule is leave the gun in the holster when in the bathroom, if possible, if at all possible. Leave, leave it in the holster. And secondly, leave it on you, either on your lap or in your pants. Like if, I, if I'm doing a number two and I got to pull those pants all the way down and I've got to remove my gun, will I remove it with the holster and I stick it in, in my pants, Mm-hmm. You know, right Episode there 30. in between my legs. There you go. Thanks for looking that up. I, you, you beat me to it. I was working on it, but yeah. So there you go. That's that's really, I think, the basics of it. Now there's a lot of other things you need to consider, but anyway, I hope that's a help to you. So let's hope that we don't have any other incidents like that in well anywhere, but especially in a state like Kansas, where this just became the law of the land, and this just kind of proves the point I, i'm not saying it actually does but but in their minds this proves the anti-gunners points you know as to why they were fighting against this type of legislation to begin with now a story uh where a michigan lawmaker he wants gun owners to be able to carry into gun-free zones this is michigan state representative Bo lafave and he is sponsoring legislation that would let all gun owners with concealed carry permits carry their firearms into current gun-free zones, such as churches, bars, and hospitals. Now, a point real quick, Jacob. I don't get sometimes why some of these places just – and people think about it like this all the time, where like just automatically churches and bars and hospitals are gun-free zones. Like, they just – for whatever that reason – That seems rather arbitrary, like – <laughs> it's like, oh, what about malls or what about like, you know, like as long as we're throwing crap out there, can we just like start keep the list going? Like what makes, what makes the hospital or the, you know, the church any different whatsoever from a shopping mall or a restaurant or like, I, I don't know. I mean, th- there's something apparently inherent about these places that's you know dangerous or something. I, I don't, I, I don't get it. 
Don't don't get me wrong. I have no problem with private property owners or private organizations creating their own rules, right? You know, so a church, okay? If the pastor or the leader of the church wants to say no guns, then hey, by golly, that's your right. That's okay. Or a bar, or if it's a private hospital, right? If they want to make their own their own if they want to create their own gun-free zone, that's that is entirely their right. But it drives me crazy when a legislature where a state says arbitrarily and across the board, all churches, bars, and hospitals, and whatever else you want to throw into that list, like you were talking about, you know, those are all gun-free zones. <laughs> don't don't get it. Don't know. Don't understand. Like, <laughs> so yeah. So I I appreciate Bo Lefave, which man, I bet that made his his campaign a lot easier. Being Lefave, you know, <laughs> just saying like I can think of all sorts of campaign slogans. Our marketing people would love to run with that. So Lefave, like good work, you know, writing some legislation. We'll see if it gets passed. By the way, he inspired me to use a word earlier in the episode today, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to share a quick uh, little quote from him because he's he's a, he's entirely correct in what he says here. He says, "As it turns out, criminals are ignoring pistol-free zones." I wish that were not the case, but we do not live in a utopia. If the bad guys are going to carry guns into gun-free zones, I want to give the good guys the legal ability to protect themselves and their families. Amen to that, brother. Yep. All right. So a little bit lighter bit of news. Springfield Armory announces four new models, new range officer elite models for summer 2017. And uh, hey, this is good stuff. Uh, I love seeing new guns come out. Now, I don't know if there's anything groundbreaking about these, but the range officers line of pistols from Springfield Armory have been very popular. I've shot one. Great gun. I mean, I think when the range officer first came out, it was like a $600, $650 1911 pistol. That is, that is a really good value, and it's a gr- you know it's, it's a great pistol. It's got a you know, you know a bunch of nice features, nice sights, good trigger. Uh, comes with eight round magazines. I mean, it's a nice 1911 pistol. And now they've announced an elite compact, elite champion, elite operator, and elite target models to complement uh, their already existing line of the range officer 1911 pistols. And they said that with all the uh, upgrades they are giving or bringing to this line of pistols, uh, it's like three hundred something dollars worth of upgrades, but the price is only increasing one hundred twenty five dollars. So the, they they come with the Springfield Armories. They call it the Black Tea Self Lubricating Treatment. It's a finish on the gun that's supposed to be you know really, I guess lubricating. <laughs> uh, they look great, by the way. I know that, that that was a stupid thing of me to say, right? But uh, yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it says. Uh, a newly designed Generation 2 trigger, an ambidextrous thumb safety. The original range officer only had it on the uh, traditional, you know, uh, left side of the gun for for right-handed shooters. So now it accommodates righties and lefties equally. And the in a, and a G10 thin-line 1911 grips. So... MSRP yeah. is in the vicinity of a thousand dollars, so it'll probably street price be in the eight to nine hundred dollar uh, range would be my guess. Yeah, uh, so a little bit more expensive, but probably worth it. I mean, just for the better trigger. 
And they really are great looking pistols. The compact is, you know, literally that's a compact. The champion is a little bit bigger. Then you got full size models, the operator and the and the elite tar- target model. The uh, big difference being in those, the operator has forward slide serrations and a rail for mounting a light or other accessories, whereas the target is more like a classic uh, 1911 style. So there you have it. Pretty cool stuff. Finally, uh, before we get to our justified stories, this was on my radar. I don't know how much it was on yours, Jacob, but last week there was a big deal made about a women's march in uh, Washington, D.C. This is an anti-NRA march. In fact, they started out at essentially the headquarters for the NRA in Virginia and then marched 18 miles from Fairfax, Virginia to the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., the whole way, you know, protesting the NRA and, and I will say it, our gun rights agenda, okay? Because, I, you know, what I love about this is they say that, that one of their big things is they're trying to fight against this so-called big gun NRA lobby and that it's just, you know, a big lobby with a lot of dollars and that it doesn't necessarily represent, you know, the people. Uh, it's just big corporations, you know, and big money. And I'm thinking, no, you got that wrong because a lot of people, a lot of people feel exactly the same way and their, their, their ideals, their motives align, their agendas align with, with, with what the NRA does in Washington, DC for us. I mean, they stand up for us on most issues. Uh, I think appropriately, uh, trying to represent, you know, gun rights and, so anyway, we had this big march. Um, I don't know how many people actually attended, but uh, I mean, there's a decent little crowd there. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to talk about that briefly, but also point you to an article written by a friend of mine, Diana Muller. And uh, she's a competitive shooter, a retired uh, police officer from Tulsa, Oklahoma, And she wrote this fantastic article for Tulsa World News, and the title is Women's March Against the NRA, Count Me Out. So here we have Diana. She's a woman, obviously, uh, and she does not support this Women's March Against the NRA, and she makes some really sound arguments, uh, you know, about or against this Women's March. She talks about how uh, some of the people that are behind the march uh, don't necessarily have all the, you know, their backgrounds are not necessarily that uh, that clean or uh, they're not maybe the right or the best people to even be talking about gun control to begin with. Uh, some women say that the, they are not going to be intimidated into silence, but yet they are trying to silence us, the people that are arguing for and on behalf of our uh, gun rights. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of... Uh... A lot of interesting things in here. Here's here's one thought. According to uh, what's her name at the head of the march, uh, I already I already lost the name. But according, oh Mallory. Okay, here we found right. it. Mallory. Mm-hmm. According to Mallory, uh, they're they're upset because the NRA put out this video, and uh, the video is kind of a you know commercialish thing with uh, Dana, uh, the NRA Dana spokesman, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and she. 
Yeah, Dana, Dana, whatever. I don't even know. She argues in the video, apparently, that demonstrators bully and terrorize the law-abiding until the only option left is for police to do their jobs and stop the madness. And so Mallory tells CNN that the NRA ad puts our First Amendment rights in jeopardy. It puts the lives of people who are exercising their right to protest in the middle of danger. And we're looking for a change in NRA's behavior and its policies and practice. And she also says, we have not taken a position that people shouldn't have guns. We don't want to prohibit guns from ex- people from exercising their Second Amendment rights. So it's funny because it, like, if you read the content of this article on CNN, it infers that, hey, no, we're totally all for gun rights. We just don't think that the NRA's video really supported the First Amendment. And so we'd like both yeah. amendments to be supported. Like that That's what it suggests in that little section. But you look at all the pictures from the march, and you look at the ac- actions of the march, and that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> the march was about like getting rid of gun rights. Here's another thing that I always find ironic. I love how the gun grabbers are taking the Philando Castile incident mm. uh, as, as, as ammunition against against gun rights it's like hey look at this look at this black guy who had a concealed weapon permit and had a gun and he got shot by a latino american officer like we're not supporting the 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 african-american community we need to stop gun rights you know it's like well wait a minute like you're using an example of a guy who exercised his second amendment right to carry a concealed gun and that that is your fodder to fight gun rights um like to me, there's something very hypocritical in there as well, and 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 there's so many. We love to leave out details, right? Like uh, you read this entire CNN thing, and they lo- they talk quite a bit about Philando Castile and what happened, but they don't mention that he was on marijuana. They don't mention any of the circumstance. They they don't they don't. All they say is that you know he he had a legal gun and and he got shot while he was reaching for his driver's license, which frankly is you know who nay or say who's to say what he was reaching for? We don't actually know. So the whole the whole thing is just. Uh, it's so biased and it, it's so, you know, take the little pieces we care about and run with them and ignore everything else. It just makes me a little sick. Yeah. And that's why it, there is so much hypocrisy there. Uh, you see a lot of these folks walking and not to make this an issue of race, but a lot of the photos that are shown are, are of uh, African-Americans, uh, quite a few of them. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I could see them pointing to Philando Castile as an African American and using him as their um, as their martyr, if you will, uh, saying how uh, you know we that the, the gun community, that the gun lobby, is not supporting these folks. And and you're exactly right in that that dude was carrying a gun to defend himself. And you guys are talking about taking guns away from not just you know from a certain group of people, but from everybody, including your own group of people, including your fellow Africans and African Americans. Um, the NRA does not have a complete disregard. This is quoting, by the way, uh, Tamika Mallory, one of the uh, representatives there. The NRA she does not have quoting from this. Okay. I, how, do, how do I phrase this? <laughs> I'm arguing against, I'm, I'm pointing out that what she says here, she says this, a complete disregard for the lives of black and brown people in America. I'm saying the NRA does not have that as its agenda. Uh, just talk to Colian Noir, right? And there are others, the black guns matters guy, uh, really cool guy, you know, promoting how, how important second amendment rights are to all people, including people of color. 
Uh, I just love this article that Diana wrote. She has some good points here. She says this, as a retired police officer and professional shooter, I have different experiences that support gun ownership for self-defense. I know how long it took me to respond to a 911 call for providing my family cage-free food options, hunting, and for enjoying the sporting aspect with my family, not to mention doing my duty as a citizen to be armed and disciplined as our founding fathers called for. We are not violent, nor do we advocate violence, and it is I who refuses to be intimidated into silence. Referring to the, you know, violence part, she pointed out how one of the supporters of this so-called women's march, uh, Linda Sarsour, advocates for Sharia law, refuses to assimilate to American culture, and uses the word jihad against the sitting president. I know that was kind of a controversial thing, and I think Sarsour tried to backtrack a little bit from what she said about jihad, but it's just interesting, because when you hear the word jihad, what do you think, Jacob? Yeah, I think terrorism. Right? Yeah, and, and, and war, and, you know, fighting fighting for your uh, your cause, your religion, I guess. Uh, it's not a very positive-sounding word, and that is some of the rhetoric that has been used by some of the people behind this Women's March, but you look at the average American, the average American gun owner, we're not the folks that are out there calling for jihad, calling for violence, calling for assassinations of sitting presidents and, and so forth, although there have been exceptions. There's definitely... Uh, and I, they are more than welcome to be banned from and not considered a part of my gun community. But those in the past that had called for the uh, uh, assassination of President Obama. But uh, I think those are valid points. You know, that the truth is that we are the good guys. Uh, we stand for the Second Amendment right so that we can also stand for and have a First Amendment right and all other rights that are secured by the Constitution and by the Bill of Rights. And go back and listen to episode, what was that, 135 or 6, when uh, Dr. Adams and I talk about some of the, the founders and their uh, how that all came to be as far as their view. 135. 135, there you go. Uh, I think we covered a lot of the things that are at stake here as far as the rights are concerned and where some of those sort of came from, at least how they came to be in our Constitution. But anyway... So, uh, clearly, this is an ongoing uh, public and cultural issue, uh, and I don't, so I don't think this is going to be the last time we see a march like this, obviously. Uh, I hope that we can inspire some of our own marches and positive, uh, what's the word, lobbying. As a grassroots, as a people, I'd like to see us do even more ourselves. Uh, to stand up and make the case for gun rights and not make the case for a far-left gun control agenda. Justified stories. In, on this, well, excuse me, before I get to just, I thought this was a justified story. I forgot I snuck this story in. Uh, this was an interesting one. This is south side of Chicago, and it says, man dies after a gun goes off in his waistband on south side. A 33-year-old man was killed when a handgun he had in his waistband discharged Thursday night in the West Inglewood neighborhood on the south side. About 11.55 p.m., Stephen Winston was sitting in a parked car, and the gun was in his waistband, and it went off while he was moving the vehicle, police said. Uh, he lived nearby. He was shot in the abdomen and taken to the hospital where he died at about 12.57 a.m. 
Well, you know, when I read stories like yeah. this, Jacob, and it says man has gun in waistband, it makes me think that he just has it tucked in his waistband and doesn't have it in a holster. That's exactly what it makes me think, too. I mean, this is Chicago. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't picture, you know, some good permit holder, you know, with a nice holster. and they, Like, I see some dude who would be out at 1155 p.m. Like, that's, you know. Maybe he works the night shift. I'm not, you know, maybe I shouldn't judge. Uh, but, you know, most people, you know, are good law-abiding citizens aren't out at 11.55 p.m. And the, the description, you know, in his waistband, I, I agree, infers that it's just the gun stuck in a waistband. Uh, that's bad. Don't do that. Uh, it, it's, it's not okay. Like... This will happen to you. Uh, I, I have a self-incriminating story. This is like the very first time I ever tried to carry concealed. I had gotten my permit, but I and I had purchased a holster, but it had not arrived yet. I ordered it online, and I was not going to wait for it. I was just too pumped up and thrilled. So I stuck a gun in my waistband, and uh, I, I luckily did not get shot and die. Um, but it did fall down my pants and out out the pant leg. That was embarrassing. So, so yeah, just just you know, there's so many, there's a myriad of reasons why you don't want to just stick a gun in a waistband. You are a brave soul for admitting that story. <laughs> yeah, if I gave you the context, it would be even more incriminating. But but just just, just don't just don't do it. Yeah, so true. Uh, I mean, we we've talked already on the podcast about the dangers of of bad holsters and some holsters out there that. Yeah, maybe called holsters, but maybe don't do a very good job of protecting uh, yourself from your gun while carrying it on your person. And, and certainly going without a holster entirely is always a recipe for disaster. So, you know, I'm sorry that this guy, uh, that it cost him his life. Um, that's unfortunately a choice that he made, though. And I do hope that we can use instances like this to communicate Especially if you're a newer CCW or listening to this podcast for the first or second time, you know, make sure you have a good quality holster to carry your gun in. And go back and listen to, it wasn't too long ago, maybe um, 12, the holster one? 12 or maybe 20 episodes ago now, we talked about, Matthew and I, we did two episodes, I think, about holsters. 124 so, and 126. There you go. Thanks. I can always count on you to look that stuff up for me. <laughs> so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, our now finally to our uh, first justified story. Armed robber ends up getting shot by victim, police say. And this was in Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia police say a 22-year-old man was shot twice Tuesday morning while attempting an armed robbery in North Columbia. Joshua Tyler Bradley, 22, is charged with first-degree assault and battery, attempted armed robbery and pointing and presenting a firearm. Police say he got into a fight with a 60-year-old man shortly after 2 a.m. Tuesday morning. During the struggle, police say Bradley pointed a gun at the victim and then punched him in the head while demanding money. The two then struggled over the gun, and the victim shot Bradley in the leg twice, according to police. He received, uh, the Mr. Bradley, he received medical attention for his non-life-threatening injuries, according to investigators. Charges are not expected wow. to be filed against the victim. Yeah, don't well. get in a fight with a 60-year-old man who, who knows how to shoot a gun, I guess. Or knows how to, to fight. <laughs> you know, yeah, either, either way. Here's the reason I picked this story out. Um, <clears throat> there's not a whole lot here necessarily, but what's fascinating to me is that this is a story where an armed robber attempting a robbery has his gun turned around and used against him. 
And so going back to what we were talking about earlier, Jacob, about carrying a gun and feeling, you know, kind of the sense of security, like, oh, I got my gun. I'm good to go. Guess what? If you're in this situation where someone comes up to you, their arm's length, or maybe just, you know, they're between three and let's say six feet away, right? Close, close quarters. And they've already got a gun trained on you. Is it a good idea to try to draw your gun and shoot them? Probably not in most situations. Now, there are exceptions where someone's able to create a diversion, create an opportunity for them to draw their gun and use it. But I think there's something to be said about the need for hand-to-hand self-defense concepts. You know, that that sometimes in some situations, it is probably best to go hand, you know, hand hands-on uh, to grab that gun. And I, I can show you some techniques about how to do that. Unfortunately, I can't do that very well through the podcast. Uh, you can go check out some of the courses uh, we have available for sale from Matt Numeric, a very you know, awesome trainer in uh, some of these concepts, right? Hand-to-hand self-defense. We've had him on the podcast before. I don't remember what episode that was. Um, I'm a huge advocate of Krav Maga. I think everyone, if you're carrying a gun and you're serious about self-defense, you should learn and you should get trained in using those hand-to-hand concepts because they can save your life. Yeah, at the end of the day, you need to you need to win the fight you're in. You know, maybe that's a cliche some of you have heard before, right? And so in this moment, the fight is is not over who can draw fastest. Like you've already lost that fight. Right. The gun is already on you. Like so now the the, the fight has got to be over that gun. Uh, frankly, you know, it, it, you, you need more distance in order to have an opportunity to to beat him to the the trigger. And, and this is just not the moment to see if you can pull and draw and shoot faster and he can squeeze the trigger. Yeah. Yep. You know, a couple of things here is that when let's just say someone's got a, a gun right in your face, right? How would I deal with that potentially? Well, I would shoot both hands up right in front of me while I am basically sidestepping, you know, moving my head to the side so that my head is no longer and my upper body is no longer directly in the path of that gun. And I would grab onto that gun with both hands and force it up and away. And you know what? If he tries to press the trigger at that point, it may very well fire. And it's entirely possible too. It may fire, but maybe it strikes me in the shoulder as opposed to in my head. Uh, but hopefully, if you do it and you exercise it correctly and fast enough, you get your hand wrapped around that gun, you get it up and away from you. And if it does fire, and if it's a semi-automatic, it's going to fire once and that's it. Now he's going to have a failure to fire malfunction to clear right he's gonna ha- he's gonna have to get an- another round into the chamber and by that point while may- maybe i'm still maintaining control of that gun i can try to tear it out of this guy's hands maybe at the same time i'm grabbing my own gun or i'm grabbing a knife or i'm punching and elbowing this guy in the face until he lets go of his gun you know there's there's lots of options here and that can be done a lot faster than probably drawing your own gun and trying to use it that's a good way of losing a gunfight, similar to the homeowner in the very first story that began this episode. Sure, sure. Episode 56, by the way, is the one we did with Matt, with Matt. Numerick. Yeah. Go go back and listen to that one if you have already uh, or if you haven't. A lot of good things we covered in there, and Matt's videos are really outstanding. Let's go now to – this is Memphis, Tennessee, where a robber shoots and kills a man, and then the, a witness shoots the robber. This is another story, unfortunately, where a good guy loses his life. 
What did you think on this story? Yeah, not a lot of detail. I mean, we, it seems like this week is the week of like poor journalism or something. I don't know. We just can't get enough details ever. But, you know, basically officers show up. There's two, two, two dead people, right? They say an 18-year-old suspect robbed and shot a 24-year-old man. Now, here, here'd be the first thing I would tell you. I can I can totally see, you know, some instructor sitting in front of a room and telling their students, "Hey, if someone, you know, holds you up and they they want your wallet and stuff, just give them just give them the money and let them go." And that might most of the time work out. And it might not be, you know, poor advice either. Like who who am I to argue? But does it always just work out? Can you always just hand somebody the wallet and they run off? Apparently not in this case, because in this case, the 18-year-old suspect robbed and shot a 24-year-old man. And I don't know all the, all the circumstances, but what's clear is this guy, you know, taking whatever it is he wanted to take was not enough. He decided to shoot and kill his victim. So then a witness who sees the 18-year-old, uh, you know, fire the shot at the, at, at the victim, the witness then pulls fire, pulls gun and shoots at the 18-year-old suspect, and that, that person's down. Uh, so... <laughs> The suspect is in critical critical condition. The 24-year-old victim is unfortunately dead, uh, and the witness shooter is is apparently fine. Um, it, it's it's a it's a scary thing. But the biggest thing I took from this was, you know, a robbery doesn't always end in no shots fired, everyone's fine. Like, okay, I'm without a wallet, I'll just cancel my credit cards and move on in life. Sometimes it ends in worse ways. So that would be the number one lesson I took from this is, you know, the 18 year old suspect robbed and shot a 24 year old man. This story is, ex- that's exactly why I positioned the story immediately following the last one was to show and make the point as to why it might be necessary to take extreme measures to defend yourself in a robbery situation. I can't tell you that that's how every robbery is going to play out, you know, because most robberies, honestly, they're not out to kill you, right? For a lot of robbers, like their goal is not to kill people. Uh, that's just a line that many of them have not gotten to yet to, as far as crossing. They're after, you know, the quick score, you know, some cash, some credit cards, whatever it is, right? That 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 the person is carrying on their person. But they're not up for, you know, pulling the trigger and trying to kill people. So uh, that is, you know, why I put this story here, though, so that you could see that there are times where we might need those skills, those Krav Maga skills, those other hand-to-hand self-defense concepts, uh, things that Matt Numerick teaches. So go out and find yourself a good trainer. Take some of these courses that we have available on our website, whatever it is. Get some of that knowledge and some of that training because I hate for any of you to end up like this 24-year-old man that was the victim of this robbery uh, and, and it cost him his life, unfortunately. Coming back to Colorado, uh, we've got a story from Colorado Springs. Uh, This happened uh, a week or two ago, uh, but the story here is reporting that a deadly shooting in in a Colorado Springs townhome has now been found justified under Make My Day Law. This comes out of the uh, district attorney's office there. Uh, The story is that a Colorado Springs man was justified in shooting and killing an acquaintance who had barged into his home and was charging at him as young children were just several feet away, the DA's office announced Tuesday. Marital. This is hard to follow. It really is, by the way. Uh, So that's why I'm actually going to read most of the story here just so I keep it straight. Marital issues were the likely trigger behind 33-year-old Felipe Garcia breaking into the shooter's home in the middle of the night based on the 4th Judicial District Attorney's Office investigation. According to that investigation, Garcia had separated from his wife one week prior to the May 14th shooting. Uh, 
The separation came on the heels of an incident between his wife, the shooter, and the shooter's girlfriend. We don't get any specifics about that relationship, so I have no idea what was going on there, but something happened, and it really you know caused some problems for mr garcia he was not he was very upset so garcia later threatened the shooter over the phone now the shooter just so we're clear this is the homeowner okay and this is apparently the man that that that, that mr you know felipe garcia is upset at for doing something i guess with his wife i don't know right and what's confusing is yeah. that the shooter though also has a girlfriend you know at first when i was reading this i'm thinking okay we have a one man maybe he's cheated on this other man's wife and now that you know man has come to get after the other man maybe, maybe that's still what happened here but the, it also makes it clear that there is a girlfriend as well who knows anyway messed up uh uh, uh yeah here, here's how i read it you got you know guy and his girlfriend and their three children and probably the girlfriend's friend who is running away from her husband comes to hang out, you know, comes to stay at their place. And the now estranged husband is, is upset, you know, Maybe. so he comes in to talk to his, you know, separated spouse who's living with this other family. And I, that's the best I could do. <laughs> well, you're really reading into it there. But anyway, it's a crazy situation is what it is. But Mr. Garcia threatens the homeowner, the shooter over the phone. Two days after the phone call, the shooter said he heard a loud boom, which investigators would later find was Garcia kicking in the door. The shooter ran to investigate and saw Garcia running up the stairs. He told authorities he yelled at Garcia to stop and that was and, and that he was sorry. I guess for whatever he had done, but Bar- but Garcia kept coming towards him. He then shot Garcia once in the chest. Unfortunately, Felipe Garcia uh, passed away from the wounds, the wound that he received. Uh, It was confirmed that the shooter's girlfriend and three young children were also home. Uh, But in the shooting, as we're reporting now, the shooting has been ruled self-defense. No charges will be filed. And it does seem, you know, pretty clear by uh, the way this reads. I mean, you had an upset dude that decided to take matters in his own hands, break in, and try to harm somebody. And, And the thing that's fascinating to me, Jacob, is things like this happen where, unfortunately, we, we read stories where there's a estranged lover or something, and they break in and they, they, they kill him. You know, like, like that, I, I wonder, what was Felipe Garcia going over there to do? And all I could think is, if he's willing to kick in the door, bust in like that in the middle of the night, run upstairs towards the bedrooms, like, he's going to do something probably really bad. And, yeah, I, and how yeah. close this guy was to, you know, stopping that. Yeah, the story could have been, you know, one that we didn't pick up on our radar just because it was just a domestic violence. Some dude breaks in, hurts his wife and kills her and steals the kids. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, this could have ended very similar to a lot of other stories in this country. Yeah. So that's a that's a heart pounder there, I think, as far as I mean, it just man, I can I can only imagine how intense of a situation that would have been. And like I said, who knows what the marital and relationship things that were going on but but at the end of the day you know unfortunately people's emotions really get worked up in situations like these and if you're in a situation like that and i'm not saying you know like like let's make sure we make good judgment calls but if you got any reason at all to to think that someone might want to harm you now's the time to get prepared 
Man who breaks into home with assault rifle is shot and killed. Now, this is a doozy of a story. Uh, I think this one was out of Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana. Fingerprints provided identification of Jalen Ford Coutte. I don't know. He's 18 years old. According to Shreveport police, he was one of several men who attempted to forcibly enter a residence at just after 4.30 a.m., but were met with gunfire. Yeah, so the the story actually goes back a little ways, and and the, you know that it's now we're now to kind of getting into it because they've identified the the poor dead man, but essentially you have several uh, criminals who break into a home four thirty a.m. on a Friday morning, and they come in with a semi auto. I mean, at least the guy who who was killed, he left behind a semi automatic rifle with quote dozens of rounds of ammunition end quote. Uh, we don't know what his accomplices had that, that they took off running, right? But at the very least, he had a semi-automatic rifle with dozens of rounds of ammunition. Um, and so he, you know, they they break in and round, you know, gunfire is exchanged on both sides, and this guy is struck and dead. Now, here's another interesting, just you know, little side note. It mentioned that uh, no persons inside the home were injured. However, police did seize a sizable quantity of suspected marijuana following their execution of a search warrant there. So it sounds like this was not, you know, some innocent homeowner who was being taken, you know, by by some home invaders. This sounds like, you know, a, a drug, you know, relationship gone bad or who knows what, but uh, not not all innocent uh, parties here. Yeah, it uh, does appear that way, certainly, that um, you had some likely drug dealers in this home. And, you know, this sort of thing is where... Oftentimes, this group of of guys are trying to come in there to forcibly uh, take uh, marijuana and other drugs and money and things. So, not surprised at all to see this play out. But, you know, at the end of the day, Jacob, self-defense is self-defense. And now I recognize that this individual in the home that used his gun to defend himself, uh, he may not have been allowed to have that gun. He may have been breaking the law as far as drugs and other things were concerned and also having that gun. But is he still entitled to self-defense? Absolutely. Yes. If, if, I mean, he's, he's probably not getting charged with, you know, shooting this, this, this guy. He's probably getting charged with, you know, possession of a illegal substance, right? Yep. That, that's the, that's the point I think you're trying to make is, just he 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 has the right to defend himself in his home just like anyone else does. Yeah, and that's that's the name of the game. Now he, you know, probably I guess what I was trying to suggest is most of us don't on an average evening have have to work worry too much about the probability of several armed people with you know semi-automatic rifles busting in our front doors. Yeah, um, and not to say it hasn't happened randomly because it has, but that's probably not the likely. Uh, outcome for for our average you know homeowner and sometimes it happens by the way unfortunately for folks that a lot lot of times for people that rent it has happened i think too with someone that's bought a home but sometimes what happens is somebody uh rents a place not knowing that the previous renter was a drug dealer or somebody that had dealings with you know a gang or a drug dealer and not knowing that the renter has moved out and now someone new has moved in, you know, they send a hitman or the gang goes over there to, you know, deal some some street justice and uh, innocent people have gotten caught, you know, in the crossfire uh, in those types of situations. So, yeah, anyway, crazy stuff can always happen. 
And that's an interesting story there. We thought we'd share it. Now, finally here, uh, out of um, Ohio, this is Preble, Preble, Preble County. Preble, I don't know sure. exactly where that's at. Somebody, a listener, I'm sure can tell us. Uh, one of our instructors, Rob or Matthew, could probably tell us where that's at. But uh, it, the prosecutor there will decide whether anything criminal occurred in the fatal shooting of an armed intruder accused of forcing his way into a house on Lowell Avenue on Friday night. The resident's decision, and this is quoting, by the way, from the sheriff, Sheriff Mike Simpson. He said, the resident's decision to fire at our victim was based on the fact that the victim was armed with a pistol. So based on what we know today, we don't see any issues with the resident's decision to do that. There's still a lot of pieces of the puzzle that need to be put together on this. Jacob, I'm going to let you... Did, did you read yeah, this? Sorry, so, so, what's the details on this one? This yeah. is crazy. Yeah, so to unravel this a little bit... I'll, and this is a good one in the sense we have a little bit more detail because there was a 911 call placed. And so when 911 calls are placed, you know, we get access to some good information. So essentially, you have a man-woman uh, homeowners, I assume married couple, uh, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, man-woman homeowners, and the woman calls 911. And in this 911 call, she says that the intruder shouted an, an obscenity at her husband, uh, and her husband shot him once in the chest. It also mentions that the woman, you know, in the 911 call said that she had no idea who this person was. He had a mask tied over his face. His eyes were showing and he had a hat on like a bandana. Um, they also clarify that the the bad guy, the intruder in this case, Simpson, um, no, no, Simpson is the, uh, op- the police officer or the sheriff sure. or something. Anyway, the bad guy or gal, the intruder, uh, declined, uh, did not... Uh, uh, had a handgun, but we don't know what caliber it is. Excuse me, I'm struggling over this one a little bit. So he had a handgun, but we don't know what caliber it was. Um, but it did seem clear from the 911 call, from how I'm reading this, that the husband did identify that he was armed. You know, that, you know, so obscenities are being shouted and, oh, that dude's got a gun. And so one shot fired in the chest and that stopped the threat. Yeah. Now, that first quote I read from the sheriff was kind of confusing because he, he's talking about a victim. And what he meant was that a dude got shot, that dude died, and they're calling him the victim. And now that's just a, uh, I guess, a technical legal term. You know, the, the victim here, the victim meaning the guy that shot and died. Um, but what they're saying is the resident is the one that shot him, the so-called victim, which is, in this case, his name was, uh, uh, I had it here, Jacob Kraft of Eaton, Ohio. He's 22 years old and he came in to likely rob uh, this home or whatever. Um, What's also fascinating about this story, Jacob, is it talks about the husband, the homeowner, okay, that did the shooting, that shot Mr. Kraft in the chest. He was alerted to the intrusion by his three-year-old son. Yeah, there were three kids total in the house. Uh, It's pretty serious. Yeah, and so... He, the three-year-old comes into the bedroom and alerts his father that, quote, a robber's here, daddy, end quote. Wow. <laughs> that's a very, um, that's an amazing little three-year-old, in my opinion, to have the, the presence of mind uh, to be alerted to something, to go to their daddy and to say, and, and, and somehow extract from that, dad, a robber's here. Very intense. Uh it, 
I, I wonder if the three-year-old hadn't woken, you know, awakened, if anything uh, nefarious uh, would have, you know, might have happened to the lives of this family. I don't know. Uh, so this is a pretty intense story. So, you know, the intruder comes in, Mr. Kraft comes in, has a gun. Um, uh, the father is awakened by the three-year-old. He obviously confronts uh, Kraft. Um, words are exchanged when it's clear that Kraft has a weapon and he is not leaving, uh, the homeowner is forced to shoot. Case closed. I mean, it's this, the title of the story says prosecutor to decide the invasion case, but man, this looks pretty open and shut to me. I don't know what... Well, it, the, the original story, they've updated this news story like six times, and so I think just the yeah, title hasn't changed. But uh, another interesting thing, that a little detail that is in here somewhere, is that the intruder entered the home through its unlocked front door. So, you know, we were talking earlier about physical security. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you don't even lock your door, you might start to wonder if you, you know, if you're ready and prepared to defend your home because that that's as far as I'm concerned, that's an invitation. I didn't uh, catch that little detail there towards the bottom of the story. Sure enough, yeah, through its unlocked front door entered the home. Occupants did not know the man. Uh yeah, wow. So a storm door was unlocked. The front door was ajar. Mm. You know, it's probably one of those things that's a little bit more common during the summer months where it's hot. Uh, you know, now now that it's nighttime, you've maybe got, you know, some doors or windows opened so that you can let some air in and uh, cool down the house. And, you know, uh, some storm doors are capable of doing this without compromising security too much. I mean, meaning they can be locked and they, they can be secured. But in this case, this one clearly was not secured. And that is a, another good point. My security system, Jacob, does not work very well with, uh, like it doesn't work really at all if windows are left open. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, things have got to be that's why I say I'm trying to make sure the house is secured. Uh, we have, uh, I'm not as fancy as you. I don't have a central air conditioning unit. I have two uh, other air conditioning units that we use, and we try to keep the house secure. But in this case, uh, this family did not have the house secure. Fortunately, uh, a very astute and calm three-year-old alerted his father. Uh, I, I guess it's a he. I don't know. And uh, fortunately, that family is okay. So there you have it. Wow, I told you we had a doozy and a bevy of stories to talk about here today. I think we got through most of them pretty well uh, in the time that we had allotted. Uh, a reminder that uh, to check the show notes of today's episode under the resources, we have uh, links to some, some of the things we've talked about, some of the other stories or articles uh, that we've talked about today. Uh, under resources, we've got one about uh, using a bathroom with a concealed carry handgun. Uh, we've got our 300 negligent discharges article that reveals uh, all the data and the stories behind these negligent discharges. We talked about a couple of those here today, so that should open your eyes if you haven't checked out that article yet. Yet. And also uh, the one that Jacob wrote about magazine capacity limitations and some of the problems with those uh, proposed gun control laws a lot of times. And also, I think today we've referenced episodes, uh, let's see, 135, 105, was it? 106, something like that. Jeez, we've referenced a lot. Yeah, we, 56, I know 56. 30 was the bathroom 30. one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, I'll try to actually pull all those that we've referenced here today. Oh, yeah, 106 was the negligent discharge one. I'll try to pull all these as well and drop those links in the show notes as, as well so you have a quick reference to go back and listen to those previous episodes. 
I will say this uh, for those of you who are listening. We did some a survey among listeners. Uh, I don't know about six months ago or so, and we found that a lot of you will, you know, you find our podcast and you do go back and you listen to all the episodes. You just, you know, you listen to episode one and you just start going through it. But a lot of you do not. A lot of you just, you know, when you find it, you start listening and you just get the new episodes when they come out. You got to go back. You got to go back and listen to older episodes. Um, at very least, I would tell you the even numbers. Now, episodes one through 10, you should listen to all of those. And then starting episode 11, we started doing the Monday news episodes and then the Wednesday topic episodes. So the Wednesday episodes are even numbers. And so those are not timely in any way. They're not, there's nothing timely about them. So please listen to all even number episodes uh, after episode 10. But I, I, I would just say listen to them all because even though a news story you know, from a year ago is not exactly timely, there's still tons you can learn about it. So there, there's a call to action. Like Go back. If, if you're a person who has not listened to all the past episodes, get on that yeah. right away. Yeah. The even episodes are generally the – yeah, the kind of the more evergreen topics uh, that we've discussed in the podcast. There are some exceptions. I just wanted to clarify uh, some of our uh, interviews, like with Kyle Lamb, Gary Quasenberry, uh, and a few others have come on odd numbered episodes. But uh, yeah, there's we've, we've you know it's been a year and a half pretty much now. We've been doing this podcast. Uh, it's been a, a, a great ride and we enjoy doing it and we've covered a lot of different things and we'll continue to cover a lot of things. Uh, chances are we may even cover things from a different angle or maybe we've even had opinions changed on certain topics that maybe we'll revisit at some point. And that's kind of the nature of this game. Uh, I am never afraid of changing my opinion uh, or uh, you know, my beliefs or my tactics or, you know, something, something, you know, with my training, if I truly find that something else works better or something that has changed, because where I'm always seeking for the, the best knowledge, the best training, uh, the best preparation for the concealed carry lifestyle and for, you know, general self-defense. So anyway, Good stuff there. Today's episode was brought to you by Pig Lube. Pig Lube believes in putting the fun back in shooting with their synthesized bacon grease gun lubricant. But all joking aside, Pig Lube provides excellent lubrication for both rifles, handguns, well, and shotguns too. I use it on, on all my guns. <laughs> with a unique applicator and competitive pricing, I hope you'll, you'll try Pig Lube today. It is available right now on concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube. They just recently launched and released their new pig lube cleaner. They call it their PLC, pig lube cleaner. It is my new favorite pig or pig. <laughs> well, yeah, it is my you know, new favorite pig stuff. It is my new favorite solvent for cleaning my guns. The PLC works wonders. It gets the job done and it does so without super caustic and nasty smelling solvents. Uh, it almost feels like you're cleaning with water, but it's not water, okay? We don't want to rust those guns. Uh, it's clear, and it goes on. I mean, it, you coat your gun with with PLC, wipe stuff down, use a little brush here and there as you need to, maybe some uh, Q-tips or whatever, and stuff comes away clean without leaving a lot of nasty residue or stuff behind. Uh, it does a great job. It uh, doesn't feel oily or greasy or anything like that. It's great stuff. Check out Pig Lube and Pig Lube Cleaner today. You, and for a limited time, get free shipping on all Pig Lube orders. Concealedcarry.com forward slash Pig Lube. Today's episode is also brought to you by Mantis X. 
which is a fantastic training tool. We call it the instructor in your pocket. It attaches to your firearm and sends real-time data back to your mobile phone that will guide you in correcting the most common deficiencies as a shooter. Talking at the beginning of the episode about trigger manipulation practice without looking at your sights so you so you don't anticipate. Mantis X is also very valuable in that uh, training process. So check out Mantis X today. It will become, I think, your new best friend, your new training best friend, uh, a partner that you're not going to want to go to the range without for that instant feedback and data. Watch also our review that Jacob and I did about the Mantis X. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash Mantis X, M-A-N-T-I-S-X. All right, to wrap things up here, I just wanted to tease that uh, for this week's, I guess tomorrow, uh, Wednesday's episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast, I have a special guest, Ray Price, is going to join me on the episode. He's actually a longtime podcast listener uh, who has been carrying concealed ever since he was able to, since he turned the age of ripe old age of 21. Uh, he's been carrying a number of years now, uh, but he's he is a, a concealed carrier. He's a big-time gun rights advocate, uh, son of a military veteran, and he's African-American. And, you know, with all this talk about Philando Castile and guns, black guns matter and black lives matter and all this stuff, we talked about the Women's March earlier today, too. I thought it would be appropriate to invite Ray onto the podcast and get his perspective. I talked with him over the phone recently, and he had some really sound advice and just really incredible things to say, I think, about some of these relevant and uh, timely topics at this time as things are going on you know, across the country at this time. So look forward to my interview and discussion together with Ray tomorrow on the Concealed Carry Podcast. Appreciate you all for listening today. A reminder from us here at concealedcarry.com to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Have a good day. We'll catch you next time. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.